And sadly, most of the church today still is laboring under that, uh, I call it the, the, the great lie, the big lie. And I believed it for many decades and functioned under it. And it affects everything that you do. It affects your presentation of how you present the gospel. And, and it also arms and fuels man's attempt to get God to, to help him. Uh, it, that's called religion. So in other words, if we're separated from God, then you can come up with a way, a method, a religion, to get back with God. And of course, the Scripture never indicates that. And in fact, the Scripture actually says the opposite of that. And how we went so long uh, missing that is, is, uh, is just uh, an amazing thing in itself. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Paul the Apostle writing to the church at Ephesus, he makes some amazing statements. And, and he starts out like he does in all of his epistles, and he's uh, bringing something that he saw that not all of uh, people had seen, and that is the triuneness of God. Now, uh, we've got, you know, churches that don't even believe in the, the triuneness of God, and when we say that, we're talking about one God, we're not talking about three gods, but we're talking about the manifestation of the three personalities, if you will, of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Paul introduces all of his epistles acknowledging the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He does that in all of his epistles. And he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, if you, you've got a King James, you King James, the word places is a palatine. And what have we learned that that means? It's not in the original text, right? So it was added by the translators. I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why they did that, especially in this, in, in, in that sense, it makes no sense. And so, it's not places, it's in Christ. In other words, uh, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has past tense, not will, if you do good, but has blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? If He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing, how many is left that you don't have? None. Okay? And He's blessed us where in those heavenly places? In the heavenly, in Christ. It's all in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him, everybody say in Him, before the foundation of the world. Now, Jesus Christ is not plan B for God. This, this was all decided by the triune God before the foundation of the world. That predates Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's important that you know that. That God chose you before the foundation of the world that we should be what? Holy and without blame before Him in love. That's not, that's not something you achieve. That's something you receive. And, and notice it says, before Him in love. Who is love? God is love. And He says, goes on to say, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Notice it's not according to your performance. All right? To the praise of the glory of His what? Of His grace. By which He has made us, He has, past tense, made us 
accepted in the beloved. That's in Jesus. How did He make us accepted? Because in Him we have redemption. Where, how does that redemption come? It comes through His blood. What does that mean? The forgiveness of sin. All of them. And remember, Jesus took away the sin of the heart. Not the people that confessed them, but the world. According to the riches of this world. Grace. So, I, I want to go back and just t- and hit this for a moment before we talk about that you're included, because you've got to know what you're included in. And so the doctrine of the Trinity becomes extremely, extremely important. Um, it explains how God can be one, and, and yet God uh, is loved by His nature. And when the Bible says that God is one, it's not a definition of numerical value. No more than the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians was talking about a man and a woman will get married in covenant and then two uh, shall be one. It's talking about one man. And, and, and so without absorption of the other person. For me and my wife are one, but when you see us, there's two. So there Paul says one plus one equals one. Well, in First John, John, the, 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 the apostle, he saw this. And, and, and he, he verbalized it in many places. He verbalized it in the first chapter of his gospel, the gospel of John. And, and, and he says, in the beginning was the, what? The Word. Now, who is the Word? Jesus is. Jesus, the Word's not a book you put around. Jesus is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word of God, and the Word was with God. Now, I asked him to put me in a metal chair, and I'm going to do this. Just to maybe to help us see this. Now, there's a lot of folks that just see God as just singular. And I know we've gone over this. And some people say, well, we believe in the Trinity. You know, we, 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 you know, we, we settled that years ago. Let's move on to something else. But, but everybody that I knew, including me, that would say we believe in, in the Trinity, in the triunity, if you will, of God, yet it was more of a head by faith theological attempt. But it didn't, it didn't, you know, affect the experience that I had as a believer. But I want to tell you, it's radically affected my experience now. And you have to view everything in your life through the reality of this triune God. Now, if God is one by Himself, if God ever existed by Himself without, without the Trinity, without the, without the Son, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, then God cannot be loved in His essence. Because for there to be true love, there has to be an object to be loved. So the only two possibilities is, if God it was ever alone in, in His aloneness by Himself, as in other words, if it's just singular, God, then, then if God is love and could love with no object to love, the only person God could love is Himself, which would make God the supreme narcissist. And so that would base everything God did and does based on His love, not for you and me, but for Himself. And so that's what a lot of religion does. It's, I mean, you're, you're told your greatest uh, purpose is for you to, you know, serve God, to give God praise, like He's some egomaniac that's got to have, you know, like a drug so much, you know, so many minutes a day to feel good about Himself. Good morning, we're glad you're here. 
if God is by Himself ever, if, in the, in the, if God has ever existed by Himself, then relationship is not in the essence of who He is. Because so there's nobody to relate to. There's nobody to relate to. Uh, he can't be a God of love because there's nobody to love. Let's just say don't love the but He can't. If He's existed alone, then He can't love because there's no object to love. And then the only time he could love them is once he created something to love, and then he could do love as a function, but it's not a it's not an essence of who he is. It's not part of his nature or his character. So they sung two songs up here today, and, and the songs were filled with, you know, God, you're holy. Now, your average American Christian, when they hear the word holy, they think of moral perfection. They think of not sinning, not breaking the rules. That is not what that word means at all. At all. The word holiness, the literal word, means to be set apart. To set apart from what? Set apart from everything. In other words, God is holy because there's no one like Him. There's nothing to compare Him to. And the Scripture says that over and over. And so holy is not perfect, you know, function, but there's none like God. God is, set, God is totally set apart. There is none like Him. And, 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 and so, but if God, as I told you before, if God's ever alone, then, then God doesn't have a relationship as part of His essence. And so relationship is not, it's got, and that's the one that I always was big time missed on. Nobody ever told me and talked to me about relationship with the people. I thought relationship was something God can do if He decides to, but it's not part of who He is. No, it, it's, a, it's, it's part of who He is. It's His essence. But what, what we really have is, is we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I just about dropping all these chairs. Talk to me, buddy. Hard to do this one hand. Just line them up with those two. Alright? Now, people that say they believe in the Trinity, this is what they kind of see in their mind. Not for you know the truth. But you know the big middle church chairs, the five and the other ones? And then two lesser chairs on either side. You know, like a lot of churches have on their platform. Now, Father God would be sitting in the middle. Jesus would be over here. And actually, they probably wouldn't even have this chair. They would just have a perch up here for the Holy Spirit, which is a dove to land on. Some people just see the Trinity as the Father, Son, and the Bible. And they worship the Bible. I appreciate the Bible, but the Bible's not the Word. Jesus is the Word. And so they see this as a tribunal. They see God not as Father, but as Judge. And that God's out here looking at us, you know, and He's distant. And, and He doesn't fool with us unless we, you know, do what He wants us to do and try to get Him to pay attention to us or accept us or receive us or save us or whatever you want to call it. But this is not the picture of the Trinity. And I showed you this, you know, many months ago, probably six months ago. But the real picture of the Trinity is more like this. Because the Bible says in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when it says in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is not an afterthought. 
Jesus is in the beginning. And I'll tell you something that shocks a lot of Christians. The Bible clearly in the New Testament, I'll read some of it before you forget time, but it says that Jesus is the creator of everything he's made. How many books have you ever read on Jesus, the creator of the world? No, no. So we don't talk about it. And the reason that's important is because Jesus in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The word with there in English is translated with in the English is the Greek word pros, P-R-O-S. And it means to be turned face to face. And so the reason this is important is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not sitting here like some tribunal judgeship. But they're sitting here face to face, face to face with one another. They always behold the face of the, and they are in perfect relationship, and they are nonetheless they are equal in their deity. They have a relationship. They love one another. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Holy Spirit is 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 so unique. And in fact, in the Hebrew, ruach, the, the Holy Spirit is feminine. Just message. It's a feminine word. Now, I know some of you think God's a male, but He's not. He's God is a spirit, John 4. But all of us represent aspects of, of, of God. God is so multifaceted, it takes all of us, and then we still can't do it, to, to share and declare the image of, of our God. So, they're in perfect, unbroken, Relationship forever. Now, what you guys see in this, and the reason this is, is so important, is the Trinity. If you don't understand this, that's why I'm, I got to get this done before I can tell you how you're included. But if you don't understand this, it, it, you're not going to understand much of anything else, and it's going to affect and impact your relationship with God. Um, God is love. Would only begin with, with with something to love, but God God's not singular. In fact, the first John John said they are three that bear witness in heaven: the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are what one. Do you see that? And all throughout the Bible, we see this popping up in the Hebrew Scriptures. You don't have to go anywhere but Genesis chapter one. And so, you know, it, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But the, the, the Hebrew word is Elohim, which is plural. So literally what it says is, you know, and, and so we, 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 we've got, a, we, we've got a, uh, a grammar problem right out of verse 1. In the beginning, God, plural, created, singular, the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formed and voidless, and the Holy Spirit, here we go, here we go, we see the Trinity. The Holy Spirit was brooding over the face of the waters, face of the deep. And God spoke. Now, that's the word, but He spoke and said, Let there be light, and light was. And don't be confused to think this has got anything to do with the sun. I'm talking about the S U N, the sun. Because the sun wasn't even created by God to the fourth day of creation. So when God is saying, right in Genesis 1, let there be light, he's not talking about 
the sun, the, you know, the, the solar system, he's not talking about that. The solar system, all that came about on the, on the fourth day. Getting that interesting. Some of you look shocked by that. He thought he was going to let there be light, and he made the sun. And you read Revelation, but there will be no need for no sun there. For Jesus is the light. And so, we, but when we talk about the triunity of God, we have to hold on to orthodoxy. You know, the words, the, the, the teaching of the apostles, the, the, the New Testament, and, and the orthodoxy of the early church which is monotheistic. In other words, monotheism. In other words, we, we, we are not people that worship three gods. We, we worship one God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in essence, and one who is undivided, forever undivided. Now, God will never not be beholding the faith of one another in this triune relationship. So, if how many believe that's true? They always behold the, the faith. They love one another. They're in relationship, perfect harmony with one another. Now, if that is true, then that has, that causes preachers that get up here and preach that God turned His back on Jesus a real theological problem. Their theory that God turned His back on Jesus, uh, which is a is just crazy. But I used to believe it because I heard them say it. And, and they one of you in here that they went to church and they heard somebody tell you that. God turns back on Jesus. And, and then, but there's, it never says that in the Bible. In fact, it says the opposite of that. It says in Psalm 22, and, it, and it's prophetic of the crucifixion of Jesus, and it said that God would never turn his face from the afflicted one who hangs on the cross. God would never do it. And it says that in the Bible, but yet people just still go on and say that. Uh, father turning from the son, which would, if that happened, that would mean for that at least that time period, love ceased between them, and that would mean that the union of the Godhead was in, was interrupted. And 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 I would say that's the biggest lie, because if he'll turn his back on his own son when he's dying on the cross, you, you ain't got a prayer. But God would never do that; has never done that, not for a nanosecond. When Paul said that God chose you before the foundation of the world, that word that Paul chose to use as foundation, it implies more than just the beginning when the world was founded. It's bigger than that. What it means is God's being Himself. In other words, God Himself is the foundation on which all creation rests and lives and consists. And the Scriptures say that clearly in the New Testament. God is not a being. Listen to me. God is not a being that starts creation or starts the creation clock. But, but God is being in which His other-centered love totally is our foundation. That, that, that's how, that, that's how, also, that's how we live and move and have our being is in Him. Now, I want to ask you a question. Does God do good uh, does God will only to do good because He is good, or or is the good called good because God does it? Now, I'm not trying to use your brain twisters, like how many angels to fit on the head of a pin. 
but it's big time important. But it's got enormous ethical significance in his plan. If God is good, if God is love, now let me tell you what, let me tell you what First John 1 and 5 says about that. Because this is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare it to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There's absolutely nothing in God that is not good. Nothing. Nothing. Not one shred of anything. But, but so you got to figure out, now how does God display that goodness? Now, the reason it's so important because uh, if God is good, in other words, if God is love, and, and that's part of God's very nature, then to, for me and you, when we obey God, all we're doing is we are participating in that goodness or in that love. Now, this is where I want you to see the practical part of how the Trinity affects your life. Now, it don't matter what you do, well, it kind of does. There's some things that God's not into, right? That people do. But what, what I'm saying like this, I heard about this guy, uh, he was, they were uh, riding on a plane together, and this guy sat by me. You know, people like, you know, they sit down, two guys, they start talking, hey, how are you doing? Where, where, where are you headed? And, well, I, if I'm going to ask you where you're headed, I'm, I'm in a plane with you, I'm going to think like you going. But they mean, you know, the end destination. But, you know, the guy talking about, he said, I just come back from, you know, some country, and he was a botanist. You know what a botanist is? They study plants. And so he was telling, uh, this, you know, this, this uh, Christian brother, he said, I'm a botanist. And, and uh, you know, and, and so then the guy went into this long dissertation about how concerned he is over plants and their extinction and people's lack of concern and what what's happening in the environment and many plants are, are you know, becoming extinct and, and, and worse in some countries than others and, and you know, and so that's it. And you could tell the more the guy talked, he was just burning with passion over his, his, his job, if you will, as a botanist. And so his brother asked him, he said, where did you get your passion for botanist, you know, for, for being, you know, doing that? And he said, well, uh, he said, "Was your parents into this, or you know, grandparents?" He said, "No." He said, "I, I don't know. I just always, you know, love plants and stuff, and got into it in college, and it's just my passion." And he said, uh, did, "Did you ever think that that you're just participating in God? That you, you know, you're just a, you're you're participating in God here? So you're in Him, He's in you." Do you think God cares about plants? He cared about them enough to create them. And he made plants that, that feed them. So, do, you know, he said, do you think God cares about plants? Do you think he's passionate about plants? And the guy said, well, I never thought of it. I guess he is. He said, so could it be that your passion for, for botany is not something that, just, that you created, but you're participating in God? It's an evidence that God's in you. God's passionate about that, and you're just betraying that. See, that's the thing that you and I get to do, whatever we do. You get to participate. It's like the, at, the, at the first miracle Jesus did at the wedding of Cana. I mean, we, we get to go fill, it, fill up the water barrel, but he's the one that turns it into wine. Now, if you want to try that on your own, have at it, and we'll see holler back when you get it, water turned to wine. But you get to participate. 
you, you get to be involved in what God is doing. In other words, that's what Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, in that moment, in that actual practical situation, that's what Jesus did. They, his mother said they have no wine. So Jesus comes and, 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 and he tells them, you know, he says to him whatever he says, he says, do it. He says, go fill up the vessel, fill, him, fill all the, the water jars. It's a five-gallon boots, by the way. A lot of water. And they fill them up. And, 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 and listen, in that moment, it's still water. What did they fill them with? Kool-Aid? Wine? They went to the liquor store? I mean, they filled them with water. And, and, it's, and this is where faith comes. It's still water. And Jesus looks at those servants instead of serving. Now, if you want to stand there and argue that we're going to give them water, they get water. You don't argue, you get faith. And they reach in and they they dip the water, but as it's poured, it's wine. And not just any wine, the best wine they ever tasted. That aggravates some religious people. They hate that in the Bible. <laughs> but it's in there. First miracle we get. The Bible doesn't tell us who those servants were, but I can't hear everybody in that neighborhood needs me their name from that day forward. Because they participated with God and what God was concerned about. So whatever you and I do, I was a paramedic, I was a paramedic for 20 years. And man, I really did love my job. I love what I did. I loved it. Um, I thought that was all me. My parents, I love them, but they actually didn't. Because me and my dad got a uh, pretty serious auto accident when I was a little kid. First thing I heard him. First day there, and uh, that just made me terrified of any of that kind of deal. I, I, we come up on an accident. Even as an early teenager, man, you know, as we say, I would I'd go to pieces. My nerves, I would just, I would, sometimes I would cry. Because it brought all the reality of that trauma back to me when I was seven years old. And I remember when I told my parents, I'm going to go to school to be a paramedic. I was like, what? <laughs> you can't even see a life in it. You know what I mean? What? I mean, they loved me, but they were like, you, you can't. Well, come on, son. How are you going to do that, brother? <laughs> uh, but I did it. And it's something, it's, it's different when you pull up at a wreck and you don't know what the world you're doing. And when you pull up at a wreck and you know what to do. It changes everything. And, and I did that for 20 years. And it's passion. But I didn't realize that all I was doing was participating in Father's passion. Because he cares about people that hurt. And he, and, he, and he cares about it. That's why I told the story about the person that got beat upside the road. And the good Samaritan, I mean, he cares about that kind of stuff. I don't you think about what you do, what you're passionate about. That you're actually getting to participate, and you're actually in, in some, you, you are an image bearer of the Father. Concerned for this planet, for people, for, for, for you, for this world. And that's why you're passionate about it. You don't think, well, like the pastor, he, he's passionate about helping these men. How for grace. But all he's doing is participating with the Father. It doesn't originate in him. It originates in Papa. And he, he is, he's participating in that, which makes water go to one. It makes one dollar go to a hundred dollars. You got some supernatural help in there. Come on, somebody. 
and, and, and you, you can, you're participating in the heart of God. Are you seeing this? And so God is the foundation. But, but, but see, there's one more. And so we've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in absolute unbroken relationship and fellowship one with another. But, there's, but this right here is your spirit. And your spirit didn't come into being. The day that you decided that you'd be a Christian, that's not when that's not when your chair got pulled up before the foundation of the world. You, you need to see that. What does that mean? That means before the foundation of the world, everybody on the planet got in a relationship with. Now I know that's going to stretch the religious little frame. You're included. Now, if I got up and said, I'm going to preach a gospel message today called the gospel of inclusion, there'd be several people just turn me off or they'd be writing about me this afternoon. Believe in inclusion. I am an inclusion. So you're included. But if, if people, how they, in the religious world, how they word everything and how they, they, they got things worded. But see, if God does good because God is good, then everything God does flows out of His goodness. It is the goodness of God that leads men to what? Repent. The word repent means to what? Think differently. Don't mean cry and say, I'm sorry for my sin. That's what most Christians think it means. It's the Greek word metanoia. It means to change the way you think. Change the way I think about what? First off, you've got to change the way you think about God because you've been thinking about it wrong because you've, you've been living, we've all been living in darkness, a delusion. A self-inflicted delusion about who God is. That's why Adam and Eve hid from God. God is, is their, their buddy. God's walking with them every day, and then all of a sudden they sin, and then now they're hiding from Him, and He still comes. They, they projected their brokenness, their pain, their guilt, their condemnation. Their, it was all self-inflicted on them, and they're hiding from God, and God's looking for them. God's not hiding from them. This dumb thing that we said in the church all these decades that God so holy he can't look at sin is stupid. Because Genesis, right in Genesis chapter 3, it proves that that's not true. Adam and Eve became sinners, if you will, but God still came. And He's looking at them. He's talking to them. And right after that, we get, we get you know, Cain and Abel, and we get a murder, and God is sitting there uh, communicating with Cain. And he's sitting down having a long chat with a murderer, and then he actually puts a seal on him and protects him from being killed by other people. Oh, he's so holy, he can't look at sin. Why are you so dumb, you shouldn't be preaching? <laughs> Did I say that out loud? But I want to say something else to you. But if the goodness of God, or if the good of God, this is, I mean, this is important in our world, in the big world view, but if the good of God is defined by whatever God wills, if the good of God is defined by whatever God wills, in other words, if God wills it, then it makes it good. Then what happens is, then if God wills to kill and destroy, then that makes killing and destroying good, because God wills it. And if God commands someone to kill and destroy, then they're doing good. But He wills it. But what happens? Now, if you own that list, which many religions have, then, then people, we, we will kill, people will kill 
and destroy, and then they'll justify it by projecting that desire onto God, and then they're claiming to be obedient agents of God's will. In other words, we're killing people because we're working for God. That's why we flew the planes into the towers. We're doing God's will. We're agents of God. Right? Oh, there's that wrong view. But we're agents of God. So we will kill people in the name of our God, and it's good because He wills it. We'll go in and bomb an abortion clinic and kill people and kill doctors because we're agents of God. We're doing it because God wills it. You see how sick that is? And your mind can just go because that's going on every day in the news somewhere. Well, I did it because, you know, you no, know, God is good. There is no darkness in Him. And everything that flows out of God is nothing but goodness. And so you don't be deceived. You don't be deceived in that. Now, I want you to look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. In Colossians chapter 1 and 13, this is where you're going to start seeing how the Bible is so clear that you're included. He says in verse 13 of Colossians 1, He has delivered us, not will one day, if we do good. Notice the past tense, He has delivered us from what? From the power of darkness. And He has conveyed us into the kingdom, I love this wording, of the Son of His love. Isn't that good? In whom we have redemption through His blood. How does your redemption come? Through this what? Now what does that look like? The forgiveness of sin. Is it, is it contingent on you confessing it? Absolutely not. It's already happened. God didn't need your permission to forgive you. He already forgave you. If that makes you mad, you stay mad, but He already forgave you. God's not mad at you. You're not going through hell in your life because God's paying you back. Now, I have said to be clear at this point in time I say this, there's consequences in this world for sin. But don't get confused on what's causing it. It's not God. I told you you better get weary with this example, but if you go down there and say, I need money bad, I don't have no money, I'm going to go down and rob the bank, and you, you hold up the bank and they catch your butt and they put you in jail, don't say that, don't write a testimony that God did it. I found the Lord. God was behind. No, your stupidity caused you to do that. And the pain and the affliction and the jail time is all on you. And God paying you for nothing. You were already forgiven before you ever done it. Because Jesus Christ was not lying. He was the Lamb that took away the sin of the whole entire world. Right? And, and, and so it, it says that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This is it. For by Him, how many things? They all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Are you one of them things? Are you a thing? <laughs> For by, in other words, your, you being here is because of Jesus. For by Him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Even if you're sitting here and you are invisible and I can't see you, you were still created in Jesus. Visible and invisible. Whether the thrones, dominions, principalities, the powers, it don't matter. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist. 
If you were ever truly separated, John Calvin said this. If you, John Calvin said, if you ever, if God ever removed Himself from inside you, you would cease at that moment to exist. You would cease to exist. All things consist by Him. All things are held together by the Word of His power. In, in, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then in verse 3, it says, in John's writing, right at the gate, John said, this is one thing I want you to know. He says, there's nothing that exists, exists without Him. Everything. Right in verse 3. It says that He is before all things. You're not before God. God's before you. How many of you got kids? How many of you have children? I mean, when did your children pray for for, for uh, you to be, you know, involved in their in their lives and existence? When did your children say the prayer? Were you before them, or were they before you? Did you love them before they were born? I think I I loved you before you were born. I loved you when I saw the ultrasound. <laughs> but you had love in your heart before you even saw the kid. You had love in your heart. The fact that Jesus said to Nicodemus, a man must be born again, but you can't be born unless you're already inside. How are you going to be born if you ain't in there? That means before you were seen, you was in there. What do I'm talking about? You in Christ before you got born again. <laughs> All you're born again. See, let me tell you what the gospel is on. This is what it shocks people and aggravates the religious. And, and I used to believe it, and I got sympathy for you. And hey, it took me six years to see it. So you know, hang in there. The good news of the gospel is not that you can pray a prayer, do the legal contract, you know, say the sinner's prayer, which ain't in the Bible. It's not that you can do something and then you can receive God into your life, into your heart. The Lord is actually coming in my heart. What a dumb prayer. He's already in there. And right here is where I get this question. And so I'll go ahead and ask you for you because I know you set me up with it on any time. Well, you say and everybody saves. I'm saying when Jesus went across, he saved the world. They just don't know it and they have an opportunity to receive it or not. It does require a decision on their part. God would never no more save somebody without their involvement because that would eradicate their will and make them a robot. Are they able to reject the love of God? They are, but God's pretty persistent. He loves His kids. And He said, I'll search for that lost piece until I find it. I'll search for that lost corner until I find it. I'll go after the prodigal son, and when I see him even turning halfway to me, I'll run off the porch and go hug him. It's all the ways that Jesus is trying to fill through the Father. Now, this amazing God that loves us so, over and over in the Scripture, his, his mercy is everlasting. His, his goodness is without end. Uh, his, his loving kindness is everlasting. I mean, why would God word it that way? As long as you say, my mercy is up to the point you're down, then you're done on you, then you're fried. Well, why don't you say it like you preach it? 
So that is how long it was. I think the deal. All I'm saying is the, the, the gospel is not you can pray a prayer and the Lord coming to your heart. The gospel is the incarnation of God becoming flesh and He's coming to your life. God, God's come here. You didn't go there. God does not have to be coerced to love you. God don't have to be swayed, convinced. You know, do, do Hail Mary, say, I just pray, you know, none of that. God's already here. God's always been here. And if you look at your life, you'll find that God's in you for you. And if you don't think, that, I'm, I'm telling you, this, this is an experience. Why don't you get along somewhere by yourself without distraction? And I want you to say this to the Father. Just say, God, whatever you are, wherever you are, even if you don't know. But say, is what that guy says to you, are you in me? Have you always been in me? You see what he says. That's what Paul said that was amazing to him in Galatians. He said, when it pleased the Lord to separate me from my mother's womb, to reveal Christ in me, not to me. Paul said, I did not know this amazing mystery that Christ was in me. And, and, and Paul, Paul says that in, in, uh, in Ephesians. Now, Ephesians, uh, well, let, let me just finish in Colossians before I get away from that. Colossians 1, where we are, verse 26, it says, This mystery, Paul's talking about this mystery. What he's talking about, Christ in you. He said, This mystery, which has been hidden from the ages, from the generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which, and then that's going to tell them what the mystery is, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The, the hope of anybody is glory is for them to recognize that Christ is in them. Now in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul in verse 4, Ephesians 4, 4, Paul makes this statement. He said, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and look at this, and in you all. He's in you all. Let me tell you what all means in the Greek. All. Let me tell you what all means in Hebrew. All. All means all. Now, God's in you. And He is such a loving God that He will meet you in your darkness, in our, in our delusion. And it, wherever you are, God's there. Wherever hell you're going through, God's there. I somebody sometime, you know, they went through a horrible situation, death in the family. And uh, now I've been passing before, and, and not so much this, not, we have this church too at times, but, you know, we've had, you know, you have a death in a congregation, a, a sudden Tragic, and in all this are tragic in that sense, but you, but I mean, you, you know, boom, you know, kid gets killed or something. I mean, one time one of our members uh, uh, on a Sunday morning, her, her daughter got hit by a train and was killed instantly. That's in my, in my sister in law, with her, her sister. And she got, she was uh, crossing road traffic in Cecil, got hit by a train and was killed instantly. And somebody came flipped into our church. And, and, and told her that. Of course, I'm not preaching. I saw the horror look on her face, and my brother's 
a place. And of course, I got up and ate to this congregation, and, and you could just feel the whole still something shift in the congregation as that word began to spread. I mean, we had to end the service. And, and it was right to do so. And the congregation was severely affected by the time of that. And I remember I had people say, you know, well, you know well, where's God in this? Where's God in this? That's a pretty common question you get when tragedy and stuff and hurt. But then if you go and you, you've been raised on that stupid pill of God's in control of everything, then you've got to say, well, God killed us. Ultimately. Well, he could have solved it. See how stupid that is? There's so much that happened on this planet that God don't want to happen. Not that really need to perish. Yet those people seem to perish. It's my will to say that all come to a sin. That's why I'm going to preach and pray and declare for that all come. All. Paul said all, all Israel will be saved. I'm going to agree with Paul on that. Yes, they will. It's in the book. And so, you know, and I've seen people, you know, I had people that go a long time and they're so burdened. And they're just heavy and, and they're burdened. And, and they say, well, where's God in this? I mean, how, you know, I feel so awful. And I was like, so what you're trying to say maybe then, are you saying this? you got to be careful handling people that are hurting. But that's not even going on you too, you know. I've experienced that a few times. So if you don't know what to say inspired by the Spirit, it's just best to say, I love you and I'm here for you. Believe it or not. Don't, don't try to go beyond your pay grade. But I just said, are you, are you trying to imply that God's not here now? Because you're hurting. You're in pain. You're burdened. Is it possible that God's burdened, that God's burdened, and God's in pain, over this death and this tragedy that he didn't will or want, and that he's sharing that with you, and you're getting to participate in the fellowship of his suffering. Is that possible? Or where is God in right here? And he's sharing his hurt and heart over this as well. And I feel God touched on that. You feel that? God. Either in the Bible, through that big time. We always talk about Judas Iscariot. Peter, Peter right up there. He denied even knew Jesus. He began to call curses down on himself. And I don't know, but not, no, not that man. He abandoned Jesus. It took him through his backbone. Jesus is resurrected now. Peter's going to give up on his ministry. He's going back to his regular job. He's a fisherman. He said, I'm going fishing. At least he has some good buddies called disciples that say, well, we'll go with you. Notice Peter didn't invite them to go. Sometimes you have to invite them set, set to go along with people that's hurting. Well, I'm going home to close all the blinds, turn off the light, and set in the dark. Well, I'm going to go home with you. Sometimes you've got to help people. So they say, we'll go fishing with you, buddy. Fished all night. What they didn't know, they was another fishing. And his name is Jesus. And while they're out there messing around, as my grandma used to call it, messing and gonging. I don't know what that meant, but she always told me, she said, you young as a messing and gonging. I knew the mess part, but I ain't really sure about the gonging, what that meant. But while, while they were doing that, Jesus went fishing. He knows where they are. I think he could probably just speak to them as it comes up in his basket. But he cooked breakfast. 
He's got fish cooking on the grill. He's on the shore, and they recognize him. Only one recognizes him. John. John says, well, that fisherman was standing there cooking. You know how it is when you're out, you can smell that fried fish going across that cook fish. And, and, and he hollers at them, and he, he says, children, are you calling me something? Have you any meat? They said, no, we fished on our income. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll catch fish. And boy, they caught a bunch of fish. And he didn't mean right versus left. Stop trying to figure everything out. The right side of the boat is the boat you see Jesus on. Can you see Jesus? Well, throw the net. Can you see Jesus? Throw the net. Can't see Jesus? Don't throw the net on that side. That's the wrong side. It's not right or left, it's right or wrong. Can you see Jesus? Throw the net. So Jesus says, come up, I got some verses. John said, that's the Lord. Either that is Jesus himself, but he said, you still John? He said, John, I'm telling you, that's Jesus. He would say, hold my mule. I mean, hold my tape. We preach it, we know what that means. Or hold my, either way. He would say, John, you hold my tape. He took it off and he goes. He said, this boat ain't going to get there fast enough for me. And he outswam the boat to the shore. He goes there, Jesus is waiting on him. And this is what Jesus says. I'm not going to talk about the cold thing, but I ain't got time. I want to say this to Jesus says, Peter, do you have got faith? When you read it in English and you have translation, you miss all this. But this is what the Greek says. Peter, Jesus asked Peter, do you agape, agape love? It's, it's, it's unconditional love. Do you agape me, Peter? Now, Peter knows what he's done. He ain't got to tell you nothing. Jesus is not trying to condemn me. He said, do you agape me, Peter? Peter said, Lord, you know I'm phileo you. Phileo is another word to translate love, and it means brotherly love. Philadelphia, phileo Delphia, Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. So Peter responds to Agape, and he says, Lord, you know I phileo you. He just asked the second time, Peter, do you agape me? He says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Peter ain't just going to say, Peter's like, I, you, I already know I ain't got that in me. I love you like a brother, but I'm going to that level. I'll admit that, but I can't go where you're trying to tell me now. I ain't going to sit here and front you and claim I got a doctor for you, but I done proved I didn't. And I ain't playing no more. I'm just going to say what I think I am. I phileo you, though. You are my brother. Jesus says the third time. Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? Jesus came. Yea, Lord, you know I slay your you. You just get to the next thing, my sheep. What that means, Pastor, that means God will accept you where you are. If you can't come up to a doctor and as high as you can get to lay your God I'll take you right there. I'll take you in your brokenness, in your wounds, in your darkness, in your addiction, in your hurt, in your sin, in your mess. I'll, I'll, I'll join with you right there. And it's good enough for me because you my kid. I'll take you. And not only will I take you, I'm going to trust you to feed my sheep. That's how it's all there. Wherever you are today, whatever your experience, whatever your level is, 
Well, I can't get up for that. I can't, I can't be it that way. Well, I ain't going to front. I know I ain't. It don't matter where you are. God's already in you, in. He's in you, with you, and for you. And He's always been there. And all He's wanting to do is just awaken you out of the darkness. And what, what was it that brought Paul to, to that revelation of Christ in him? It was the great light shone. God didn't come like a preacher's preacher and knock him off his horse. God's not violent like that. God doesn't do that. But when but light will expose darkness, and that light was so bright that Paul couldn't see any of his horse. He couldn't see anything in the natural, but he saw better in the, in the spiritual than he'd ever seen. He was blind for three days, and, 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 and God took care of him. He took care of him where to go. He, he would come and see about him. And he sent a man. And this man became Ananias to Paul's place that Jesus said, Go. When he walked in, he addressed him. He said, Brother Paul, Saul. He said, and, and he laid his hands on him. And, and this man, Ananias, means favored by God. It means grace. What was it that opened this apostle's eyes who was killing Christians? But he thought it was good because he was under the delusion that God was for it. So therefore, he's doing the will of God. He's an agent of God by killing his Christians. Jesus said, you are wrong, buddy. You are kicking against the Christians. You are totally messed up. You are educated beyond wisdom. And you are messed up. But I love you. And, and, and this man laid hands on him and Paul's eyes were open. And it wasn't just his physical. It's the picture of the spiritual awakening to the light. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am in God, the light of the world. That's not an invitation like the first Moses. That's a declaration by Jesus himself. I am the light of the world. I am love. I am the things. And when you awaken and that delusion of your darkness and your hurt and your pain and all that comes off of your eyes, and because that's what Satan, he blinded the minds of people so they can't believe. So if you can only come up with the lay of love, you can't keep the eye nowhere near God, then Jesus will take you right there. But he's always been there anyway. And he's with you and he's for you. And that changed this man's Peter's view of God, view of himself, and view of everything else. He became one of the greatest apostles from that moment forward in the every way. His epistles reflect that truth of that revelation of who God is. Peter's the one that wrote. He said, you know what this God did? When he was on that cross, he went into the depths of that place called hell, which means the grave, hell. And he preached the gospel. He evangelized those who were disobedient that perished in the days of the flood with Noah. That's what he did. And Peter's the one that did that. He saw God in a way you've never seen him before. I want to promise you this. When you stand before God and you see Him as He is, the Scripture promises every one of us that promise. But we don't know what it's going to be like. But when we, when we do see Him, we should see Him as He is, not as religion. We won't see a Baptist Jesus, a Pentecostal Jesus, a charismatic Jesus. We won't see a Catholic Jesus. We're going to see Jesus as He is. We're going to see Jesus as love. True, undiluted, undefiled love. And when we see Him with that food still, and see him as he is. He said, we will know him because we'll be righteous. That's when he says, every tongue shall confess every knee shall bow and declare that he is the Lord. 
when you see him, I want to promise you one statement you'll never make to Jesus. For Jesus, I had I really overestimated you, man, when I was on the earth. You know, I overestimated you. If anything would be said, it would be Jesus, I underestimated you. You're bigger than I ever imagined. You're greater than I ever dreamed. You're more awesome than my mind could comprehend. You have done exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask to think of you. I, I, I had heard about you, but now I see you. Now my eyes behold you, and I see you as you are. We have underestimated. We have, we have shrunk Jesus down to fit our religious models. It is time to break free from that. And to see the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that's the creator, the Jesus that introduced something that no human had ever said. And Jesus did it when he was 12. I left, left alone and found him in the temple. And Mary, his mama, kind of rebuked him. Jesus says, Mama, didn't you know I must be about my first time the words ever used? My father, listen. No human, no prophet, nobody in the Old Testament, nobody, no human had ever prayed it. Nobody had ever uttered it. Nobody had ever said it. Nobody had ever referred to Yahweh as Father. Jesus was unique in that. He said, that's my father. I'm in relationship with him. I've always had a relationship with him. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was face-to-face with Father. And that face-to-faceness has never been interrupted or broken. And I chose them in me before the foundation of the world. That means you always had a chair. You've always had a chair. Just a waste Now, if you choose to live in your darkness, that's your deal. That's your choice. You live in it. But you don't have to. God's already said everything you need. He's already blessed you every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's all in Jesus. Just to wake up to the reality that Christ in you is that your hope. Stand with me, please. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Let me pray on this mission. I'll be up here if you want to pray for personal prayer. We love you guys. Have a good day. Amen. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you. And open our heart, open our minds to the reality of the, of the grandiose, magnificent God that we serve, that we, that, that divides in us, that Christ is in every one of these people. Let them know it. Let them experience it. Let them enjoy that relationship, that fellowship, that communion, that love. The love that you have for them before the foundation of the world. You are what we rest in. In you we live, move, and have our being. In you we consist. In you we breathe. In you we function. Let every one of us participate and displaying your image and what we are passionate for because we're actually reflecting your passion. I pray today that you would help us to see that. Not only to see it theologically, but experience it in our lives, in our hearts, and home, and our ears. We pray that in the name of the Father, Yahweh. In the name of the Word, His Son, Jesus the Christ, Yeshua, come and see us. In the name of God, the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Ruach, the breath, and the wind of God, in Jesus' name. Everybody say
Love you guys. God bless you. We love you.